greatly impacts every area of our lives. For seven weeks now, we've been emphasizing that fact. Probably something that if you stopped to think about it, you would have already realized. But something that is clearly taught in the Bible, particularly in this single verse of Scripture, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever is admirable, we call the lesson, take another look. Think how many things in your life, when you just react, you react to what you see with these eyes. And then if you're prayerful, if you're biblically based, if you're close to Christ, take another look. And notice how differently things happening in the world around us appear when we realize these things and take another look. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is admirable, think about these things. The word admirable that's used here in Philippians 4.8, this is, how many times do you think this word is used in the entirety of the Bible? This is the only time. <laughs> okay. In fact, there are at least two words that are used only once in all of the Greek New Testament that are in this list of Adjectives. So Paul was kind of like stretching himself to say, what kinds of things should you think about? One of them he came up with was admirable. Um, you may remember from the King James, remember, remember what in the King James this phrase, whatever is admirable is? Yeah, you're exactly right. Whatever is of good repute or report. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we don't say repute very often anymore, do we? By way of a positive perspective or an affirmative report. It means you take an honest, objective look at a situation and you see several things that are negative and scary. Okay? And then you see several things that are awesome and encouraging. <laughs> Which are you going to focus on? That which scares you and freezes you and causes you to withdraw and run and hide? Or that which excites you to say, I was made for more than this. I'm not going to shrink away from the battle or the situation because it's bigger than me. Because it's not bigger than my God. You did that because you took another look. In other words, for the believer... It is simply seeing every other priority in your life through the lens of what you see first. And your relationship with God as a follower of Christ is not, we say first, but it's really not first. It's central. Everything else, if you think about your life as a wheel... 
okay, or like a pie chart, all right, you got to put your relationship with God at the center. Everything else flows from that. It's not just a slice of the pie, your relationship with God. It is everything you are. And that's why, like for instance, in marriage, we're celebrating uh, 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 Ed and Shelley's anniversary. In marriage, okay, um, if people stay together 30 years, we're assuming it was Ed and Shelley and God. Because I don't think Ed and Shelley are smart enough, strong enough, wise enough to make a relationship last 30 years while you're living together, right? Not, none of us are, okay? But God is. God, the author of relationship, the God who is defined by relationship in Himself being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God who sent His Son to die for relationship, for our relationship with Him, He can make it work, right? But it's the three that it takes. When it comes to things that come first, I like this story. Uh, The story is about a professor who, as his students came into a class, had a giant empty jar at the front. And beside him, he had several piles of stones. And he had big rocks, smaller rocks, tiny pebbles, and a bucket of sand. And so he took the big rocks and started putting them in the jar. And when he got to the top and they were sticking out the top, he asked his students, is the jar full? And all the students who didn't realize they were being set up at this point, probably freshmen, all right, said, yeah, it's full. He said, wait a minute. He took the smaller rocks and poured them over the top. And the smaller rocks started falling in the cracks between the big rocks until it was up to the top. And so he asked, is the jar full? Foolish students who hadn't still learned their lesson said, yeah, it's full now. He took the sand and poured it in. And the sand trickled down in every little crevice until that jar was full to the edges. And he asked, is the jar full? What's the answer? No, it's still not full. (laughs) You could have been one of the students. (laughs) He reached down underneath and pulled out a jug of water and poured the water over the top and the water seeped down into the sand. Then he said, what's the lesson of the empty jar and the rocks? The lesson is, always put the big rocks in first. That's the way life works. If you ignore the big rocks, you can... Spend great focus and energy and time and effort on all the little details. And it means nothing if you've forgotten what's really important. How often have you said, I really ought to spend more time in prayer, but I just don't have enough time. When what you're really saying is, I've decided that there are several other things that are more important to me that I should spend my time on. And if that's the case, then you should live by your own priorities. But stop lying to yourself. Okay? The big rocks have to go in first. Everything else fits around it. There's always room for the other things that are important, but not as important. 
if you put the big rocks in first. Admirable thoughts are thoughts that help you put the big rocks in first. Thoughts that help you always start with what's most important. What does everything else connect to? What is everything else built on? Admirable thoughts, we're going to say, are divinely focused thoughts. Thoughts that focus your attention on God as the beginning of everything you do. Everything you are. Everything you want. That's one of the reasons why uh, Jesus taught us when we pray to conclude our prayers by saying that we're praying in His name. Praying in His name because you're saying, the context for this is, I only want this thing I'm asking for if it brings honor to your name. I only want this if it's part of your plan for my life. I only want this if it's to your glory that you're giving it. I only want this if it's your time and the best place and time for it to happen. What am I doing? Putting in the big rock. I'm saying like, before I start putting in all these other things that I want and need and even feel called to as a Christian, I'm going to put the big rocks in first and there'll always be room for everything else that's part of God's plan for my life if I do. In Hebrews, the author says this, without faith, because, by the way, this is a act of faith. Your relationship with God is not a big rock. That's a metaphor. (laughs) Your relationship with God is something very much invisible and intangible. The effects of it, I think, can be seen, whether you're separated from God on rocky ground with God, or you're very intimately connected to God. I think most of us can see that in your life and lifestyle. But the actual relationship with God, we can't see. And that's why Jesus cautioned us, don't judge. You can't see. (laughs) You don't know someone standing with God. God knows that. You don't know. Don't go there. So for you, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You have to have faith because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Meaning, even though I can only see the evidence of his existence, I can't see his essence. I believe that he exists. And I believe that he's the kind of God who rewards those who earnestly seek him. I believe that he wants to be close to me more than I want to be close to him. So I don't have to worry about whether I decide, you know, I'm going to draw near to God today. And God says, you know, I've been waiting all your life for that. Time's up. He's not going to say that, is he? Because that's not the kind of God he is. He's reaching to me at every point of life. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. So then he opens chapter 12 after giving a list of uh, people who live that way and says, 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and this cloud of witnesses are people who throughout history have put the big rocks in first. People who started with their relationship with God as everything they sought. I mean, for instance, he'll start with one of the early ones is Abraham. And Abraham had no children. And so one of the things he would get after a very long wait was a child, a son. But guess what? That's not what he was seeking. He lived in Ur of Chaldees. You ever remember reading that in the Bible? He lived in Ur of Chaldees, which was a heathen society, very um, uh, uh, polytheistic. And uh, something was missing from Abraham's life. That's why God invited him to leave her and go to a land that he would show him. He goes, we got to get out of here if you're going to draw near to me. Abraham was seeking a genuine, personal, real relationship with God. And ended up with the sun. <laughs> okay. The sun was the sand. In fact, the children that would come from Abraham were, were um, likened unto sand, right? Your ancestors shall be like the sand on the seashore, uncountable. But that's not what he was seeking. He was seeking a personal relationship with God. He wanted the big rock. He knew that the sand and other things would fill in. So let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. In other words, that's a Bible way of saying, so don't let anything get in the way of going deeper and deeper into your relationship with God until He's all you see. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing your eyes on Jesus. When we seek God, He reveals Himself to us. That's just a principle that's spoken throughout the Bible. What is the ultimate revelation of who God is? Jesus Christ, exactly. And he's going, okay, the closer you draw to God, he'll show you his son. Fix your eyes on him. Focus your attention on him. Give your mind and thoughts to him. The author or pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He sought a relationship with his father that was intimate and undividable. He went to the cross because that was part of the father's will for his life. Not just for us. He did it to please the Father. Keeping your eyes fixed on Christ allows you to see everything else through the lens of what He is, who He is, and what He has done for you. We lose our focal point easily, don't we? How often have you worried about this situation when in a hundred similar situations in the past, God has brought you through, helped you to overcome, never left your side, 
But you've forgotten all of that because you're obsessed with this little thing that's in front of you right now, right? He says, instead of fixing your eyes on the situations and circumstances, fix your eyes on Christ. He's bigger. He's stronger. He knows what's going on. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. Admirable thoughts, secondly, are eternally inspired thoughts. Thoughts that connect us to eternity. We live in this world. No wonder we have trouble with faith topics because we live in a very temporary world, a very um, tactile world. If I can see it, if I can touch it, if I can smell it, I can taste it, I'll believe in it, but I can't see God. When we place our faith in God, when we draw near to God, He starts bringing us in touch with eternity. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, and he's talking, by the way, about he has just given a long list of all kinds of things that he suffered and how difficult his life has been following Christ. And he says, he's speaking to Jews, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that your ancestors were all under the cloud. Remember the cloud that led them through the wilderness? So they never had to wonder where to go. If the cloud stopped, stop. If the cloud moved, moved. Go where it goes. That sounds like a pretty simple existence, doesn't it? Our ancestors were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They all had a testimony of God brought them out of Egypt and delivered them through the Red Sea. You have similar testimonies, by the way. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. In other words, they all shared in all of this and also the revelation of God that came through Moses. They ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Okay? Out of the rock flowed the water, remember that? Okay? And the rock was a picture of Christ who was to come. Same for us. You've had the same experience. If you look back, <laughs> you'll remember, from out of nowhere, just what you needed came when you least expected it. Out of the rock. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Well, they died in the desert. Even though they had seen what God had done for them, experienced who He was, came to know Him in the deepest possible kind of way, had received the promises for their future that God had given them, and yet they took their eyes off of Him, and put them onto the circumstances. When they got to the um, Jordan River and were about to enter into this land God was going to give them, they became terrified because the people who lived there were big and strong. <laughs> and they didn't think they could do it. Well, that was a good first step, by the way, because they couldn't do it. But they had forgotten what God had done for them. And that, by the way, they had lived 40 years in the wilderness. They were living in an era of an agricultural society. 
Okay? If, which meant, if you wanted to eat, you had a garden. Okay? Not just farmers farmed in that day. If you were a uh, blacksmith, you worked with metal during the day, and then you went home and tended your garden if you wanted to eat. Everybody ate. It was an agricultural society. Okay? You needed to grow stuff. You needed to probably also raise livestock if you wanted to eat. Well, they were now in the desert. Cattle wouldn't survive and crops wouldn't grow. No way could they survive, but they did. Not only while they were making their way to the promised land, but while they got stuck because of their own lack of faith for 40 years in the wilderness, that whole generation lived out until it died naturally <laughs> because God dropped manna from heaven. That's a miracle, by the way. Okay? And God took care of them. And yet, when they got to the Jordan River, they still didn't think they could do it. I mean, this does not take a genius. If God can drop bread from heaven for you to eat, I think he can give you what you need to overcome your enemies, right? But they lost sight of that. So with your own physical sight, you see things only through a temporary perspective. When you look with eyes of faith, you can develop a truly eternal point of view. But only through eyes of faith. If you base your Faith only upon what you can see with your eyes, you're going to be in trouble. Admirable thoughts are completely consistent thoughts. In other words, I say I believe this, and I act and live as if I believe it. Paul lists, as I mentioned, his long list of troubles. He had been beaten He had been rejected by his own people. He had been left for dead. He uh, endured a terrible illness. And then he refers to them, notice, as light and momentary troubles. (laughs) You know what light and momentary troubles are? They're troubles that belong to this earth that you're going to leave behind when you leave. Okay. So everything that you're not planning on taking to heaven with you, Light and momentary troubles. They are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. In other words, if God is allowing you to experience things here on earth that are not going to continue in heaven, it's only because He's using them to get you ready for heaven. Because He's using them to accomplish His heavenly purposes on earth until He's done with His earth. So, Paul says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, with physical eyes, that is. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. With eyes of faith, we can see all kinds of things, seemingly impossible things that we wouldn't even notice with merely physical sight. Taking our eyes off of Christ, however, will break this new eternal focus. How easily think. That's why people can come to church and worship and leave going, 
I can handle anything this week. Bring it on, God. I'm ready to go. Okay? Because for a moment, through corporate worship, you saw God. Then you walked out that door and went to Walmart. And you couldn't see Him anymore. Right? And now you're going, I don't know what I'm going to do if I can't find a close parking place. And you started worrying about the most trivial and ridiculous of things. Because you took your eyes off of God. God knows you know to eat, need to eat. He'll go with you to Walmart to buy groceries. You don't need to worry. Keep your eyes on Him. See everything else in light of that. Admirable thoughts are naturally responsive thoughts. The proverb writer says it strangely this way. Repent at my rebuke. In other words... When you see God say to you something that you need to hear, but it doesn't really fit with the way you're thinking and living, realize He's right and you're wrong and make changes. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. God's saying, then I'll show you everything you need to know. I will make known to you my teachings. If you ever wonder why some people come to a greater understanding of spiritual principles than other people do, it's because they were teachable. <laughs> okay. Now, I'm here to tell you that what makes you teachable usually is suffering. When you get to the end of yourself, you realize you don't have the answers yourself. Finally, you can listen to God. But He doesn't withhold those things from us. He wants us to know what we need to know and have what we need to have in order to do His will. Jesus said this at the end of His Sermon on the Mount after His preaching. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. See, so keep your eyes on Jesus and then do and say what he would do and say. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He'll go on to say in the little metaphor that the storms will come. Uh, and they fall on both the people who built their house on the rock and the sand. The difference is, if your house is built on solid rock, it will stand throughout the storm. When we see Jesus for who He is, and then behave accordingly, we can develop righteous habits. Do you have some of those? That lead to an entirely new way of living. By the way, if today you would just establish one new righteous habit that you want to practice, okay, in six months it could totally transform your life. Don't worry about changing everything. <laughs> That's God's job. Okay. Take on one challenge, one nasty bad habit that needs to be replaced with a new godly good habit. Admirable thoughts are gradually unfolding thoughts. In other words, you're not going to get it all today. Paul said of his own life, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. These things should involve some effort on your part if they're real. I press on toward the goal to win the prize 
for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The prize (laughs) is uninterrupted, intimate fellowship and relationship with God. The very thing that He offers you here on earth, but requires you keeping your focus on Him, someday He will be the central focus of all in heaven. But you don't have to wait for heaven to live like this. Learning to keep your eyes on Jesus while still living here on earth and all, with all of its distractions is an exercise that will take a lifetime of practice to perfect. I mean, I, ho- I know you know me well enough to know I'm not saying to you, hey, I got this wired, by the way. I'm not saying that at all. I'll get distracted before this day's over. But the same principles I'm giving you apply to me. At that point, the quicker I recognize that I've lost my focus on Christ and return to Him and put the big rocks you know, in first, the more quickly I'll be restored to where I want to be. Admirable thoughts are wonderfully peaceful thoughts. You can't walk in intimate fellowship with God and be anxious. Now, I'm not saying I never get anxious, but I will say this to you, that when I get anxious, I know it's an indication that I took my eyes off of Christ. That's kind of cool that way, right? It's like if you've got hypertension or something, and then some, you, know, you pick up on one symptom and you go, oh, my blood pressure must be spiking. You know it. Okay? And so spiritually, I don't pay that close attention to that stuff, but spiritually, I've learned to pay attention to this. There are certain things, if I start worrying, I know I've started trying to take back control of my own life. Because if God's in control, what am I worried about? If I'm in control, no wonder I'm worried. Right? Jesus says this. And he said it to his disciples right after he shared with them the earth-shattering news that he was leaving and they couldn't come where he was going. They had learned to attribute to their lives had meaning when he was there. Their lives had no meaning when he wasn't there. Their lives were chaotic and falling apart when he wasn't there. They were together And everything was wonderful when he was present. So when he said, I'm going, you can't come, they were thinking, our lives will resume chaos again. And Jesus said, peace I leave with you. I'm going, I'm going to leave my peace. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. How does the world give peace? In April... I'm going to uh, Puerto Vallarta and I'll walk along the beach and the gentle breeze will waft over my body as I go on a stroll and I'll go, what am I supposed to do next? Oh, that's right. I don't have anything to do. Okay, I'll be at peace. That's the world's peace. I'll walk by a whole beach full of people who are just lying there and they look so serene. You know what the problem is? 
on Friday, somebody will come along, pick those people up, and make them get on a plane and go back home to Rockford, Illinois, to the freezing cold and back to their jobs. They've just enjoyed a little bit of the world's peace. That's awesome. But it doesn't last. It won't even last for me when I'm down there. I mean, I go there on vacation. It's the one place that as soon as I land in Puerto Vallarta, I'm totally at peace. But all it takes is, it usually lasts about three days into Rockford and then it like all disappears. But I have nobody to blame but myself because that's the world's peace that will never last. The peace I can have in Christ with my eyes focused on Him is eternal. So He says, so don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Now He's not saying you have no reason to worry. Most of the people he would say this to would die for their faith. <laughs> okay, they would be executed. They had plenty to worry about. They had nothing to worry about as long as Jesus was their central focus. Because all that would happen if they died early was they'd go to be with Jesus. And they knew that. No reason for loss of peace. But if you're focusing on, i got to do this, and what's going to happen with this, and where am I going to go after this, and what am I going to do about this problem, well, then you're going to be troubled. How will you know that you are beginning to make progress in this area? That is, in the area of keeping your eyes on Christ, putting the big rocks in first. The answer is, you will notice an incredible sense of peace, even in the midst of life stress. Now, by the way, many Christians have already had that experience on, in some areas. And the most common area where I see Christians have that is some significant person in their family, parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, brother, sister, or even a child, dies. Okay? And people who don't know Christ are falling apart. Your heart is broken just as much as theirs are. You're grieving just like everybody else. But you've got your eyes on Christ, so you know there's more to this world than just this world. That there is a plan for life after this world, and God has made clear what His plan is for that person you loved and for you. That God wants people to be with Him forever and eternity more than you want to be there. So you're at peace. Everybody else has fallen apart. You're at peace. Well, that's awesome. But the thing is, how come you can't translate that to, hey, they're laying off people at work. I think my job might be gone. <laughs> Again, what difference does it make? God knows you need a job. If you lose that one, He's going to have to give you a different one, right? You may not like it as well, but what does that matter? Aren't you in, in this to please Him? He's going to put you where it'll most please Him. Relax. Be at peace. If you can be at peace about the destiny of a loved one you've lost, you can be at peace about the loss of a job or your neighborhood's going down, downhill or, I don't know, your, or your health is starting to fail. I don't know what's happening with you. That's God's peace. It comes from Keeping your focus on Christ, putting the big rocks in first. Here's your homework for the week. 
When you first wake up each day this week, now by the way, if you're going to do this, you can't be one of those people that I sometimes encounter on the road who got up five minutes before they had to be at work, <laughs> right? And they're still like shaving and combing their hair in the car and driving 40 miles an hour over the speed limit and laying on their horn and watching their blood pressure go through the roof. Now, you can't do that. You got to get up early enough to do this. It doesn't have to be hours early, five minutes earlier than you normally would. When you first wake up each day this week, don't get out of bed. That's the key. No, not, that doesn't mean stay in bed. But don't get out of bed until you envision Jesus. Do whatever you got to do to do it. If you need a picture, use a picture. Otherwise, just close your eyes. Envision Christ. And then when you have Him envisioned, invite Him to share your day with you. Not just your church experience. Not just your nighttime prayers at the end of the day. But every moment of your work, every moment of your life, every errand you have to run, every task, every situation, invite him to be part of everything that's on your schedule for the day. Then, when you are presented during the day with decisions that need to be made, stop for a moment, don't rush into them, and ask Jesus, who's... This doesn't mean stop and pray. It means he's with you, remember? He's been with you all day. Just turn to him and talk to him. Ask Jesus for direction. And don't act until you feel like you have clearly heard from him. Now, if that sounds difficult, it's because it sounds difficult to you. I don't mean any offense by this. But because you've learned to live your day if it doesn't involve certain religious and spiritual activities, totally disconnected from him. And so you have to like first make connection, and then I'm talking about inviting him to sit in the car next to you as you drive. Okay, Do the things you do with you. Go to work with you. Okay, And then when the decision confronts you, turn to him and ask. What do you think I ought to do? And then when he tells you, say, well, I was planning on doing this, but I got a feeling you probably know better, so I'm going to do what you want me to do. Then you do it. Then, when you retire at night, when you go to bed at night, also go to bed a couple minutes earlier, give thanks for whatever happened throughout the day. That means you... Heard from Christ, you did what he directed you to do, and it blew apart like crazy. <laughs> it didn't work. Okay? Give thanks for it anyhow. Or, you did it, and what do you know? You didn't do it your way, you did it his way, and it worked out beautifully. Give thanks. And invite him to rule over your rest that night. Let go of it. See, you know why people oftentimes can't sleep at night? This isn't the only reason, so don't take this as a judgment if it doesn't fit you. But oftentimes it's because you've been trying to run your own life all day, okay? And guess what? You ran out of hours. You ran out of energy. Now you're laying in bed and you know you need to go to sleep because you're dead tired and you couldn't do any positive, constructive work anyhow. But it all depends on you, so if you don't keep thinking about it, then it's not going to happen, Stop trying to live that way. Okay. Turn your life over to Christ. 
keep your eyes on him and realize that he's not dependent upon you. You're dependent upon him. He made you to work, to relate, to live. And so there are things for you to do. He's not going to ask you to do anything you can't do. But that's all right because he can do anything. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the challenge today. Admirable thoughts. Thoughts that are worth repeating. Thoughts that we'd like to be known by. Thoughts that are positive, constructive, and move us ahead in the right direction. Would you help us to learn in a simple way to take steps toward that kind of thinking? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.